a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy, it's the Tropical MBA podcast, tropicalmba.com slash college. You can go there, you can find all the show notes today. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite whipping boys is, is, is universities and college. I went into a lot of debt for a piece of paper, and today we're going to talk about whether that's still a good decision if you want to get into location-independent business. Today on the show, I'm joined by Jimmy Hayes from Manal.com and Josh Weinstein from joshweinstein.me. How's it going, guys? Very well. It's going well. I have this quote, by the way, from Frank Zappa. Have you ever heard this one? It goes, if you want to get laid, go to college. If you want an education, go to the library. I know you guys kind of take <laughs> take issue with that. Josh, can you recount the story that when we were in school together, what I said? I didn't quite go to college. Yeah, I went and visited Dan at, at his college, which is Clemson, and we were talking about it, and we're trying to sort of negotiate the differences between our two schools, and he said, no, 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 Josh, here's the difference. You go to college. I go to college. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Some quick news before we get into that meat and potatoes. Ian's in Mexico. And as a tribute to him, you know, he's a little bit off on the time zone, so I've been doing the in-person podcast. But as a tribute to him, I figured we could listen to some cheesy Mexican music for just a hot second. You guys great. Beautiful. One final news update, guys. We have been talking a lot about the baller mastermind or DC Black or this private gathering of business owners that are achieving over half a million dollars in sales annually. The last few weeks, I've been talking to everybody who responded to the survey. If you went to the survey and filled it out, I so appreciate that. It's helped me to hammer out this product. And you know, I really love this, like the entrepreneurial moment of sitting there with all the input that you're getting, just writing. I wrote like probably 5,500 words or maybe even more you know, just trying to decide, like, should this element be in the product? Should that element? Going back and then sharing it with people and, like, what do you guys think of this? And then, of course, I got to the, the final, the end game, which is the P&L. And started putting in equations and going back and forth and getting the boss man and Alyssa on the phone. And I just realized that my initial idea to bring people all the way to Bali for three days just wasn't going to work out. Not only for the people who were interested, but, you know, economically, it was very expensive in cash and time, people coming all around the planet. It just wasn't quite the best idea. So if you didn't fill out the survey because you didn't want to go to Bali in May, but you still want to be a part of a high-end mastermind, I'd encourage you to go to tropicalmba.com slash college. We have a lot of interest in this. It's definitely going to happen, but I'm tweaking the conception and I'm going to roll that out in uh, just a few days here. So if you're interested in the Baller Mastermind, tropicalmba.com slash college. Sound good? You're excited about this, right? I'm super excited. <laughs> super excited. <laughs> All right, let's play that bass walk thing and get into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. All right, guys. I absolutely love it when listeners call the show and leave us audio questions. Graham from the soundtrader.com asked us a question this week. Let's give it a listen. Hey, Dan and Ian. Love the show. I have a 
online business which I coded a software product and marketed it and everything seems to be going okay but spread the word a little bit more about what I think is a purple cow. Just wondering what you guys think of incentives for customers. I've been toying with the idea of offering an Amazon gift card, for instance, for customers who spread the word and get subscribers for my business. The business is www.dsoundtrader.com and I also want to know if you're going to open up the doors to the DC sometime. I'm sure there's plenty of wisdom in there that can probably answer a lot of my questions I spend a lot of time thinking about. If you want to hit me back on email, it's graham at thesoundtrader.com. Cheers. All right, Graham, we all took a look at your product. It's, it's pretty interesting. But first, let's frame the problem here. I want to define what a purple cow is for the listeners who haven't read the book by Seth Godin. A purple cow is sort of what it sounds like. It's something so remarkable that you walk down the street and you have to tell somebody else. You have to say, I saw a purple cow. And the idea that Seth has is basically traditionally marketers have bought attention. So you have an average product like Tide Bleach, and then you buy shelf space and you buy attention over the airwaves. So that's basically saying that's not an option for us nowadays. We have to earn attention, and we do that by baking remarkability into our products. I think this is part of what the growth hacking movement's about in software. It's about building in virality, building in an idea of remarkability into your products. You are the master at this. Mr. Hayes, I can't shut up about the bag. And everybody else that has it, they love it, right? The product is worth mentioning in and of itself. That makes it a purple cow. So the ice cream sundae, on the other hand, would be the old school business that's trying to bark, use social media and stuff, share, like my page. We all know the annoying, like, no one wants to like Ralph's Grocery on, you know what I mean? Like, give me a reason. And Manal's done a great job of, of giving a reason. Is that something you consciously went at, or is it just naturally happen? Well, thank you very much. I, I think it wasn't something that we explicitly set out to do. You always want to make something with a feature set that actually matches the market. You don't want to be remarkable just to be remarkable, right? Like, right. it's actually got to solve a problem. I think the really successful viral brands are often the ones who are connecting emotionally or experientially with the market so you take a look at gopro versus contour in a lot of ways recently contour shut down and in a lot of ways contour was a more technologically advanced camera right what gopro did was spend all of their money on going to events finding where their their sort of people hung out where they used cameras and and connecting with them emotionally and, and setting up an experience around their use and and contour went bust because they spent all their money getting into retail and then had no money left for their customers. Right. So when I look at the problem that Graham's bringing to us, again, from listeners want to follow around, it's thesoundtrader.com. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of incentivizing people to share your product with cash or with affiliate deals. So Graham, you asked about the Dynamite Circle, for example. When's it going to open? The reason we don't have an affiliate program for that product is I want to be the first to know when the product isn't selling itself, when the users aren't passing it on to their friends and loved ones like, hey, you should join the Dynamite Circle too. I don't want people to be doing that because I'm paying them money. Does that make sense? I think it's a symptomatic of a deeper problem, which is that you don't have that remarkability built into your product. How can Graham do that? What are some things we could do to the sound trader? First off, Graham, it looks like you have to have a great name, and it looks like the, the product is called Price Squawk, which actually I think it's is really a, cool. Yeah. It's yeah, really sweet. Neat. I would just go to pricesquawk.co, 
right? Because part of remarkability is rememberability and shareability. And so if I go to the sound trader versus price squawk, price squawk six in my head, it's memorable. We talked about there's a story on it. I want to point you to Sean Malarkey's blog. Uh, Alyssa Doucette turned me on to this idea of the $1,000 brownie. And Sean one time sent a $10 brownie or a gift, basically, to a user who had bought a $1,000 product. And the user said, I was about ready to ask for a refund. But when I got the gift, it inspired me to, to reach out, tell you about my problem, problem solved, done. So he spent $10, saved $1,000 sale saved a customer, but created a fan. And I think that's the idea. So, you know, what's the better strategy? Giving the gift card up front as an incentive or dropping the gift card in afterwards as a gift that then inspires people to be a fan of your brand? You don't want to start incentivizing people to give you a try. The product should say to give you a try, right? But when people show loyalty and come back to you and really connect with you, that's time to start looking at a loyalty scheme or or something like that to really engage them and, and keep them on because it's a lot easier to keep someone than it is to attract them in the first place. So I think about this when I go to the soundtrader.com or pricequawk.co and I click play on the video. I want something that's a story. And I want something, I'm a trader. I want something that's a competitive edge that's maybe grounded in science. I mean, you're doing something really cool, Graham. You're giving me an audio representation of the market. That's something, even if I'm not a trader, that I might want to mention to somebody. But nowhere really at the top above the fold is it clear to me that I'm getting this unfair advantage by being a part of your ecosystem, yeah? Yeah. I don't know what the competitive landscape looks like, but... It seems like a remarkable thing in itself, just to transpose data that would otherwise be visualized into, you know, so you can hear it. That, that's a compelling thing, but it's almost buried on your front page. Yes, absolutely. So I think you've got the remarkable product, but you have to equip people with a message that they can share. So that's with the great brand, with the story, with the emotion, and with the, with the hook, a data hook. Did you know your intuition will be improved by 20%? Your trades go, what's, you know, give me something that I can tell people. There's got to be scholarly articles out there, right? Yeah, um, yeah. To do with audio. It doesn't even have to be specific to industry. It could be you're 10% more susceptible to audio stimulus than you are visual stimulus, or whatever it is, whatever it happens to be. There will be something out there about audio because it's such a, a key sense. Right. So, so utilize that and, and show how it relates to the product you're releasing. One of the good signs, if you're considering getting on the Amazon gift card bandwagon or whatever, you've got a marketing budget. You know, you have a profitable product. By the way, Graham, it seems like your product's a little underpriced. I don't know. These are traders. They're supposedly people that, I don't know. You probably know more about the market, but number one piece of advice, double your price. Just go for it. See what happens. <laughs> but I think there's an opportunity for you to invest in creating a newsletter worth sharing. Because a lot of people that are in this industry, they're signing, they want insider trading information. They want the best information fast and early. That's something that I'm going to share. So what if Price Squawk had this newsletter that came out on Friday mornings and lets you know like market recap or something interesting? So, I mean, if you're willing to invest, you know, $10, $50 at a pop to send out these cards, why not just invest in a great newsletter that's worth sharing? And the newsletter is called The Squawk. Yeah, that's There you it. go. Yeah. There you go. I love it. Well, Graham, thanks for calling in. Always appreciate it when listeners call the show. And best of luck with the product. It looks great. Guys, we got a question on Twitter from Dylan Hassinger, longtime fan of the show and, and great developer as well. Suggests that, could we hear a good joke? I guess there's been a lot of promising on this show of, of humor and jokes and not a lot of delivery. So I'll give you my go-to cocktail party joke. It works everywhere. 
all audiences, almost all ages. If you have <laughs> if your young child's in the car right now, just fast forward through this section. All right, boys. How does a Welshman find a sheep in tall grass? Very satisfying. <laughs> you like that? It works in every crowd except whales. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we got a question from an anonymous future Whoa. college student. Hey, Dan, I'm writing to you from my law studies class. Apparently, they teach this stuff in high school nowadays. I will be attending blank, decent university in a decent city this fall. And I plan to major in some field of international business and finance. I have a great love for travel and an immense desire to see the world. I can't stand the idea of living in a single place, in a single home, with a single job for the rest of my life. So I got a bunch of questions for you and your derelict friends. <laughs> Did you go to college? If so, what was your major? Do you have recommendations as to what majors might be most beneficial for people wanting to be location independent? Do you feel it's necessary to attain a degree in order to be a successful entrepreneur? And finally, in response to your 1,000-day rule post, do you think it would be advisable to start the early stages of your 1,000 days this summer before I go to college and continue throughout college? All right, so we've got a bunch of questions, guys. I want to pose these to you, both of you college graduates. So uh, what did you study, Jimmy? I studied basically a, an undergrad business degree, which was a major in marketing and a minor in economics. Okay. And then I so you learned how to use fax machines for four years. Pretty much, yeah. That's great. Um, and I'm then, sorry. That's a mean joke. It was cheap. It was cheap. <laughs> Just like fax machines. And then I did a Bachelor of Arts in film theory. Wow. It's the most employable degree, apparently. Yeah? No. <laughs> you got me. Josh, what did you study, buddy? Philosophy and history of science and math. Well, speaking of marketable, <laughs> I studied philosophy and people would always say, like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to flip burgers. You know? <laughs> <Of course. laughs> At least you're realistic about it. So do you guys think that there's – let's assume you're going to college and you want to be a location-independent entrepreneur. Can you think of a major that would be the smartest to take? This is a tough question. Yeah, it's a very tough question. <laughs> I mean, there are some courses that will actually have you do a startup or something like that. That could be useful. But, <laughs> in theory. With courses like that, there's an argument, well, why would you learn about doing by learning? Why don't you learn about doing by doing, right? And so if you are going to something like university, I think it's better to learn potentially how to think rather than the material itself. Correct. So Take professors, not courses. Yeah. My college mentor... I'll call him out, Todd May. I love this guy. Teaches at Clemson. He's brilliant. And he told me, I said, well, what kind of advice do you have, Todd? And he said, take professors, not courses. And so I took a course with Todd every single semester, my entire college career, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But I'll tell you what an entrepreneur does. The entrepreneurial mindset, going to university, it's a sunk cost. I've already been accepted. I'm going to this thing. My parents are making me go. An entrepreneur studies exactly what they want to study. They double down on their interests and their passions. They don't worry about, hey, I'm going to do this for four years because it's going to make sense down the line or whatever. I think you go directly after what, you're, what inspires you, makes you interesting. That's going to bring out the best version of yourself. And look, there's opportunities in, in every walk of life and every study. So do I think going to business school or going studying these new entrepreneurship degrees that are part? Do not study marketing. I'll just tell you that much. I mean, you're going to be reading what? marketing theories from 20 years ago 
It was super exciting, I can tell you that. <laughs> I mean, if you're interested in science, study science. If you're interested in finance, study economics, study philosophy, study history, study English literature. I mean, th that's what university is good at. University is not good at getting Mark Cuban to come to your classroom and, and having you do a startup weekend. Go to startup weekend, right? That's what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurs aren't hanging out in universities. So if you go to a university, I think double down on what's good there. For me, that was philosophy. I love philosophy. I got a lot out of that. And that did translate into you take it with you. you know. So I think that's my advice. It, college isn't a great means. It's a great end. Go there for what it's good at, you know, to be around world-class intellectuals and to care about what you care about. Wouldn't a lot of people say, though, that you should, I mean, the straightforward answer to your question would be, a lot of people would say, take a business degree, right? Business and marketing, right? So you did this, right, Jimmy? So, yeah, yeah I'm curious. You, I mean, you obviously have a lot of marketing expertise that, that probably came about from, from other sources, but to what extent do you feel like your, you know, marketing and business education in college actually influences your day-to-day entrepreneurialism now? I, th I think there's a couple of things. I mean, the economics minor I mentioned before happened entirely by accident because I kept on taking this one professor's course, right? <laughs> Every single course he taught, I took it and I ended up with a minor and that was, that was great. So I totally agree with that and it's super hard to, to disengage the, the course itself from the experience. So a lot of the things that I think I learned were from my classmates and hanging out, drinking beers, talking about business, whatever we talked about, just figuring out what we thought about the world and all that sort of stuff. But maybe it also kick-started my ideas about business. I wasn't a typically entrepreneurial kid growing up. Even in university, I was kind of there thinking I'd go into a job and all that sort of stuff. So You know who a bunch of idiots are? College kids. So I don't suggest that you go to college in order to hang out with other college kids who have no friggin' clue what they want to do with their lives. Here, let me just go into this rant about I don't think you should go to college. I think if you want to become a location-independent entrepreneur, college is a massive expensive detour filled with a bunch of people that are not location independent entrepreneurs. That's my problem with this place. So of course I'm a little bit bitter. I didn't go to college. I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just talk about the joke of international business degrees for a hot second. Why do these degrees exist and what are they? International business degrees are degrees where you take one part accounting and one part Spanish. That's not international business because international business is done in English first off, so you should be studying English, not freaking Spanish. Okay? But these degrees exist because people have a fantasy that they can become an international business person. That if you have an international business degree, somehow this will get you in an international business. When's the last time you ran into somebody that was like, I'm an international business person? That does not exist. You cannot become an international business person. So stop taking that stupid degree. Study history. It's like we had this joke in, in the humanities. It's like the humanities majors are the ones who sign the checks. You know, it's the, it's the engineers who receive the checks. So I love the humanities. I think a lot of CEOs have studied what they care about. And they're continuing to do what they care about, which is why they're CEOs. I think there's a lot of jokers on different paths. People that are in universities, they believe in that system inherently. You know, watch their feet, not their mouths. If you're hanging around in a university, old school credentialing system, you believe in that. And that, to me, is not what entrepreneurship and location-independent business represents. Three, it's expensive, especially if you're in the United States. You're talking $80,000, I think I spent, and that was 10 years ago, and it was totally not worth it, although it was a really good party. Number four, 
college is a weird speed limit. It's a societal speed limit that you don't need to submit yourself to. So here's what happened with me. When I look back at my 18-year-old self, I even think some now. I'm like, I'll say to myself, like, oh, it was good that you had college. You kind of like figure out what you needed that four years. No, that's just the way everybody treated me, as if I couldn't become a real human being until I was 22. Like, and, and you know the reason what turned my mind over about this is I love this Derek Sivers have you ever read There Is No Speed Limit by Derek Sivers, by the way? Out of this world article. I'm sorry. I'm, when I get blue in the face and pass out, <laughs> you guys can talk. <clears throat> I see these guys and girls that join our community that are 20 years old, and I see how smart they are. I realize that they're full-fledged human beings. And to be honest, when I was 20 years old, I wasn't. I needed daddy. I needed mommy. I needed university to tell me if I was qualified to do something. And that's not the real world. That's not how the world works. You're 20, you're 18, you're 14. You can do what you want. You can build things. You can create businesses. And I see it happen all the time. You go to university, a bunch of people believe something totally different, that y'all got to hang out and play intramural sports and go to football games for three more years before you can do anything. And even then, you go and you submit your application everywhere you can and hope that the next daddy comes along in the, in the name of a consulting firm or an accounting firm. And then they'll tell you what to do with the next six years of your life. And that just doesn't need to be your life. And the reason I feel passionate about this is because, A, it's absolutely true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I have friends that are living this version of life. And number two, nobody ever told me. Nobody ever told me that this was true. And it drove me crazy. You know these people called guidance counselors? Scum of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> these people, they know nothing about how this stuff goes down, yet they speak with authority to young, impressionable children. The horror of it all. <laughs> <laughs> Why do colleges exist? You have to ask yourself the question. Why does the university system exist? Does it exist to make you a better person and to educate you? No. Universities are businesses and they are designed to get big fat loans to build big fat stadiums and to pay big fat professor salaries so they can do big fat research and keep the whole cycle going. And you are funding this crap. It's not about you. Here's the thing. Information age companies throughout the 20th century needed massive ways to efficiently evaluate candidates. If you're IBM, you need to know who's real and who's not real. You can't do a onesie on everybody. By the way, when they were building Harvard Lawn or whatever, they didn't have LinkedIn. They didn't have blogs or social media. They couldn't do a quick deep dive and figure out what you've done, what your track record is. Instead, they needed a degree system to credentialize you to figure out whether you plug into these organizations. That's what these organizations exist for. They're credentialing systems. They're outdated and they're good to go to if you want to work for a top five accounting firm, but they're not good to go to if you want to be a small business entrepreneur. You don't need them because I don't care where you went to school. All I care about is how good your blog is. And that's true for most entrepreneurs that I know, small business entrepreneurs. You make, you make a hell of a case, Dan. All right. So I really believe that if you want to become a small business location independent entrepreneur, that going to university is not the best thing you can do. It's not a bad thing. It's not the best thing. What are some better things? All right. I think, to be honest, and this is going to sound crazy, and maybe a few parents are going to send me some angry emails, but I think moving to Chiang Mai, Thailand, or moving to Saigon, Vietnam, is not a bad move at all. 
Because I look at, I was talking to David the other night, and he was saying, you know, I remember we were talking three years ago, and David was a tropical MBA intern. Now he runs his own business. He can make consulting income. He's got legitimate skill sets. He's a developer. He just launched his first product, which I'll link to, tropicalmba.com slash college. He's making a significant monthly income off of his first product that is a legitimately useful product for web publishers. It puts up easy pricing, like those 37 signals, pricing things on your website. And I just think like, I compare him to me. Where did my three years go? I was worried about what credit I had or like, did I take the introduction to astronomy course, whatever. Meanwhile, this guy has a legitimate skill set. He's hanging around with mature industry leaders. People his age too, but people older that are farther advanced that he can have as mentors. People that are on the path that he wants to go to. I compare myself to David and I think, man, what a lucky guy. What a great situation that he's in. And how much faster is he going to get to the goal that he's seeking? And look, if he wants to read the Iliad or if he wants to study theoretical physics, David is in a great position to do that. He's in a great position. He can go, he can bomb into any university around the world that he wants. He's location independent. He can go to Berlin, go to Humboldt, which is free or whatever, get to know all the professors and hang, study physics. That's cool. Let's get it the right way around. I mean, in some ways, studying physics is the luxury, learning how to make a living and create value for the world. Citizenship, Josh. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the first priority. So start a blog. I mean, move to Chiang Mai or Saigon. Do you guys think I'm misleading the youth? No, but I actually thought what you just said is a decent argument for actually going to college. That is, like, if you're talking about engaging your passions and, you know, you want to read physics or whatnot, it's a good time to do it when you're young before you have other commitments that mitigate or, you know, make it difficult for you to, to go back to school. I agree with that. That makes sense to me because the truth is is that business isn't a panacea for all this stuff. And once you get wrapped up in your business, you might find it difficult to take a year off and study particle physics. I wouldn't, but others might. <laughs> I don't know. I think the, the other thing that is nice about college, if you can do it, is that it, it helps you learn what things are interesting about life, right? I don't think any of that is automatic, you know? So, I mean, a college can be a place where you're, you encounter stuff that you just wouldn't run into in your, otherwise in your life. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how it works around the world but I know that I got to study a whole bunch of stuff right I took random little music courses and all this sort of stuff and, and I think that the well-rounded thing is definitely a cliche but in a sense it's true I mean if I moved to Chiang Mai I would have amazing rich experiences but I probably wouldn't have the same type of experiences I had when I went to university so I think it's just being aware of which experiences are which and which ones you value and personally I really enjoyed being able to try out all these little things it was like yeah. a starter course right before the main meal um, got started so so that was valuable in a way so if you can do it cheaply and if you're legitimately interested in academics of course I mean I don't think that any university degree is worth $80,000 unless of course it's there's alternate arguments that I agree. There are certain things that you can get your ROI there, but you're not going to get it for your international business degree at California State University, whatever. Don't spend that money there. Go for physics. Go to New Zealand or to Europe or to Canada. Go somewhere cheap. Hang out. That's even good. Go abroad. Why, not? Why aren't Americans going to Canadian universities? Canada is a great country. We don't know a lot about it, but it's, it's, I, it's great up there. I went to school in Canada and had an absolute blast. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. My last year was in Canada, and it was amazing. 
and and that was probably the the year that I learned the most. My final year of university was in Vancouver, and and it was the the time where not only was I studying stuff that that was really interesting, but that feeling of international students coming around, cross pollinating ideas, all that sort of stuff was a real kickstart. So I want to just close this episode by saying this. The anonymous reader, thank you so much for your question. When should I start this whole process? When does my thousand days start? And here's the message that I want people to take away, the young people to take away from this. Your thousand days starts whenever the heck you sack up and start your thousand days. Don't wait for anybody. No one is stopping you from doing this stuff except for you. That's it. You don't have to wait for anybody to put the green flag in front of you. It's time to go now. You start yesterday. So if you're into location-independent business, look, it's going to take you half a decade. So just get started. Figure out whether you're attracted to it. Meet people that are in the game. Keep cracking. And go to university if you're into physics and it's cheap. (laughs) All right, this one's at tropicalmba.com slash college. (laughs) Jimmy and Josh, always a pleasure to have you guys hanging out. Appreciate you joining me on this week's show. Thank you. Thanks. We'll see you guys next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.